0: Well, hello, and welcome to the RCC Podcast. We are so glad you chose to join us today. It is our hope that you are inspired, challenged, and learn something new. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Hey, before I get into my sermon, I want to just talk about holidays real quick. Uh, Last Wednesday, we had the awesome honor and privilege of serving uh, the Thanksgiving meal down at Vision Kitchen Uh, It was an incredible night, and I want to say thank you, first, to all the volunteers who made that possible. Uh, People showed up as early as 10 a.m., stayed till like 8 p.m. We got to serve over 275 people their Thanksgiving meal, all due to your guys' uh, donations and volunteering and all of that. And so thank you so much uh, for everyone who worked hard to make that possible so we can serve people in that way. Uh, This Christmas season, we want to serve people as much as we can. And so on your way out, you'll hear one other way, uh, which you can do that. And uh, we're just going to continue to try and bless people uh, all holiday season as God has blessed us so much as, as individuals and as, as, as a church. And then also just to bring up, if there's a need within our church, we always want to be open to taking care of that. And so quietly, privately, uh, if there is a need for you or your family this Christmas season, please let us know. We would love to help. That's what being a church family Uh, is is all about. Uh, On Tuesday, it's Giving Tuesday. After we uh, spend all of our money, Uh, then we're supposed to give some of it away, right? That's what uh, social media tells us. So uh, Tuesday is Giving Tuesday. We've got a fun little way where you can engage in Giving Tuesday. Uh, We don't want your money. Uh, We're going to give it away for you. And the way this is going to work is on Tuesday, uh, if you get onto our website, actually, you can do it now. Uh, in advance. Uh, get online. We have our first ever and only release of our, our RCC or Redemption hats. And so you can get online. You can buy one for 10 bucks. Uh, they cost us like 2 bucks to make or something. And so what we'll do, though, is we'll donate the entire $10 uh, to organizations in need. And so that's a way that you can participate. Uh, we're not trying to sell merchandise or make money or anything silly like that. Uh, just get on, buy a hat, wear it around, stay warm, uh, and then we'll donate the money to a, a good cause uh, that, that when it comes along that we want to serve and be a part of. Cool? All right. So you can get it online. Ten bucks. Easy. I want to pray again. Let's pray. I'm not done, by the way. Okay. All right. God, thank you uh, again for um, just how you have blessed so many of us. Um, and thank you for opportunities to serve people in our city. I pray you'd give us eyes to see uh, this entire season, how we can just serve people and um, be generous. Um, help us to be a church family uh, through this holiday season and, and to, to serve each other as well. Pray this morning you would teach us from your holy scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you got a Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 15. we got a lot of verses to cover, so I'm going to talk faster than normal, uh, which is already pretty fast. So listen up. We are um, in this series called You Are Not the King. Uh, We entitled that series, In Fact, Because You Are Not the King, and uh, we wanted to remind ourselves of that. It's a study of this Old Testament book, 1 Samuel, and we're not just looking at it for its practical advice and wisdom. That is good. You can do that. The Bible's a, a book full of wisdom, but more importantly, we're trying to see how do these stories and the overarching story of the Old Testament, and particular in today's story, it's important that we see this. Because there are things, as a reader, that we should look into this story and say, whoa, why? And so we need to understand why and whoa as we study it. And ultimately, what we're trying to do is uh, make sure that all of these passages surrender to what Jesus said, that the, God, that the Old Testament, the, the law and the prophets, bear witness about him, about Jesus. Now, uh, if you're anything like me, I know that sometime over the last four days, you had a conversation with yourself, that when something like this, self you're only going to have one piece, okay? Now, whether that was a, co- a cookie, a-, a piece of pie, some cake, some turkey, some mashed potatoes, some stuffing, whatever it might be, you told yourself how much you were going to have, but you were lying to yourself, and you lost this conversation, and you had more than you said you were going to have. Now, if you didn't lie to yourself, what also may have happened is at some point in time, you had this rationalization in your mind, and it is Thanksgiving, Right, it is Thanksgiving, or it is the game, right? Uh, so uh, I'll just go ahead and have another piece, or another cup, or another bowl, or whatever it might be. Or if that didn't work, then you tried this good old trick. Well, Grandma made the pie, and if there's any left over, Grandma will feel bad, and so I'm going to go ahead and eat the last piece. And then what you do is subtly, very so subtly, um, you shift all the blame onto Grandma, poor Grandma, right? And That probably happened. And when it's an extra piece of pie, it's really okay, and it's kind of funny, and, uh, and we enjoy it. But in that little conversation that you had with yourself is a conversation in a larger scale that's been happening since the beginning of time. It happened in the garden, and it's going to happen here in the story that we study. And what we see here is the deceptive and creeping nature of sin. See, at the end of this book, we've already read it because we're studying the book backwards to forwards. We know where it ends up. Saul dies on a mountain surrounded by his sons. It's a tragic end to what could have been a beautiful story. Sin crept in and destroyed it. Where does that start? Well, right here in chapter 15. See, up until this point, Saul is a respected king. He's following God. He's in right standing with both Samuel and God. But here we see sin begin to creep in, and sin loves to produce death. It's what it does. So let's see the story, see what it says about us, but ultimately what it says about Jesus. We'll start right at the beginning in verse 1, because that's a good place to start. And Samuel said to Saul, "'The Lord sent me to anoint your king over his people Israel.'" Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. By the way, if you don't know who these characters are, Saul is the king. He's been appointed king. Samuel is the prophet priest who is really God's spokesman at this time on earth to God's chosen people. And the first thing we see in here is this, that God speaks. And God does speak, and God did speak back then. Uh, The book of Hebrews tells us that God spoke through his prophets. And so very clearly, he would communicate what he wanted through his prophets. But then the book of Hebrews teaches us that God used to speak through his prophets, but now he spoke through his son, Jesus. And so now we have Jesus's life. We have it recorded in the scriptures. We have the Holy Spirit. God still speaks to this day. But God speaks. We don't always listen. God spoke here very clearly to Saul. This is what he said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel. God notes. He takes notes. He remembers. He doesn't forget. As much as we think at times, God, you forgot. You forgot what they did to me. You forgot what happened. You forgot what was said. You forgot how I feel. You forgot me. No, God doesn't. He takes notes, and he remembers it says, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now, when did they come up out of Egypt? It wasn't last week, last month, last year, or last decade. It was centuries before. A lot of time has transpired from when the Amalekites attacked the Israelites to when God is saying, I am now taking notice. I'm remembering and I'm speaking. For the very next word is this, now, now. God moves in his time in his his way. And I know many of us have probably had arguments with God over his timing. God, I should be this now, or I should be that now, or this should have started, or that should have ended, or I thought by now blank. God moves in his way, in his timing. And centuries later, God says, now, now is the time where I want to move. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Why? What do the Amalekites do? Well, it said that they opposed them, the Israelites, when they were coming up out of Egypt. But there is other scripture that would indicate to us uh, that really what is going on here is not just that the uh, Amalekites don't like the Israelites or they're anti-Semitic or something like that. Uh, It's not just that they didn't like those people. There's something deeper going on. So what the Amalekites wanted to do under the guidance of the enemy, Satan, is to um, uh, annihilate the Jewish people because if they did, then God's promise to Abraham that one day the whole earth would be blessed through him would not come to be. We have to remember what the Old Testament is about. You're not the king. It's not about you and me. We don't read the Old Testament and place ourselves in uh, in in the characters. It's not about us. The Old Testament is about the carrying on of the Jewish line so that one day God's promise would come to be. So that one day, not just the Jewish people, but that all of creation and all of humanity and all of the world and every era and every person would be blessed through the line of Abraham. And so the entire story is a story of the Jewish people and the opposition against them and the sin that they engage in on their own, where it's almost like self-sabotaging the line of Jesus. And so the Amalekites opposed the Jewish people because they knew that was the way to stop God's plan on earth. And God, because he's a just God, says destroy all that they have. Now, this term destroy or destruction or devote to destruction means utterly turn it over to God. Turn it over completely to God. It says don't spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. You're not reading the story correctly. If it doesn't make you for a second stop back and go, whoa, whoa. This is the God of grace and mercy? This? Kill? Man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep? And there's not even intellectual integrity in the examination of Scripture if we don't stop for a second and say, whew, it's intense. Now, if we think that we're the main character in this story, what does this give us permission to do? <laughs> Go attack our enemies. Take vengeance out on them. Uh, fortunately you're not the king and neither am I and Jesus fulfills this when he says what love your enemies pray for them So we have to see the greater purpose of what's happening here What God is doing is preserving his line so that hope in Christ might come someday That's the reason for his order that's the reason for his instruction It is a payment for sin that the Amalekites had committed, but it is a preservation of the line of Jesus. And so he gives a direct order to Saul. This is what I want you to do. Ah, but Saul, like us, we're deceptive little folk. And so what happens? Saul comes up with his own solution, his own formula. Instead of God tells me and then I do, he changes it to God tells me, then I make some adjustments, and that'll work out. Maybe it's a formula you've tried. I've certainly tried it at times. God gives us an order or he gives instruction. We know what it is to obey, right? Either because we've read it in the scriptures or because we're redeemed, we're in Christ and the Holy Spirit is on us and we know what the right thing to do is and we hear God's order and we hear him speak and he tells us to take action and we think, I'll do it up to the point I want to do it, but God, I've really been thinking about this and if you look at it from my perspective, this would be the better way to do it. And we begin to reason with God. Well, that's what Saul's going to do. At the beginning, Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agog, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agog and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calf and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them or completely turn them over to God. All that was despised and worthless it devoted to destruction. In other words, God, I'm going to obey you up until the point where it might cost me something that I actually want, and that I'm going to go ahead and hold on to. That I'm not going to turn over to you. I'll turn over all of that which is easy to turn over, but I'll hold on to that which I most deeply treasure. So the best things they held on to. Now, it's interesting and as we continue on with the story, Saul's motives are going to be revealed on why he would do this. But first, what happens in verse 10 is God speaks to Samuel. God's going to go speak to Samuel because Saul isn't listening. It's never good when God has to go speak to somebody else because we're not listening to what he says. Now, God will do this. He did it with David when he sinned. He sent Nathan he did it to Peter when he sinned. He sent Paul. He did it to the Jewish and uh, Gentile believers uh, when they couldn't understand what the relationship between the two was supposed to look like in the New Testament, and so he kept sending more people. He sent Saul of Tarsus named Paul when the first disciples didn't understand that go meant go. And so we see this pattern throughout Scripture that if we don't listen to God's voice, we'll send somebody else or I'll speak to somebody else. This is what he says. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. He grieved deeply. He grieved. What is he grieving over? He's grieving over his friend's sin. Saul is his friend to this point. He's grieving over the disobedience. He's grieving more so even than that of knowing what is going to happen, knowing that, the, uh, uh, that Saul's disobedience is going to have great punishment. He says he cried to the Lord all nights. Now, apparently Saul or Samuel then went to bed, and he wakes up in the morning, and uh, he heads on to go have a conversation with Saul. It's a funny little conversation. And as we look at this conversation, we're going to see the deceptive nature of sin. How sin starts and wants to creep in. Verse 13, and Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. In other words, greetings, brother. What's up, man? I have performed the commandment of the Lord. In other words, he sees him. He says, man, I did it. I did exactly what I was told to do. Now, what do we know is true? No, you didn't which means there's only uh, there's two possibilities the first possibility is that Saul is foolish enough to think well Samuel will never know or he's not going to figure it out or the more likely possibility is this Saul doesn't even realize that he's disobeyed he's rationalized his sin he's so deceived by, by what he's done, he doesn't even know he's done it. doesn't even know. No. Perhaps there's been a time in your life when there's been something that the scripture tells us to do or not to do. Something you know the Holy Spirit has prompted you to do or not to do. And you begin to engage in it, and this is called the numbing of the conscience, or eventually, it's like we don't even realize it's happening. It's not okay, but we think, "Oh, my conscience doesn't bother me anymore, so it must be. It must not be sin anymore. right? And we've so deceived ourselves like Saul. we don't even see it anymore. Sin has begun to creep in. It's begun to take a place in our heart. Now Saul then, when it's pointed out to him, does what I know at least I am very good at. Maybe you are as well. He says to Samuel, I I did everything God told me to do. And he really does believe that he did. And you know what Samuel says to him? He says, then what are these sheep and oxen that I hear? In other words, dude, it's so obvious. I can see your sin. I can see it. I can hear it. I can smell it. You think it doesn't. I can smell, hear, see, whatever. You're so blind to it, but everybody else can see it. Maybe you know somebody like this. Man, they walk around, how they're the nicest person in the world, and whew. Or the the funny one is, I'm I'm the most humble person I know. Well, good start. Sin creeps in, and we... We don't, forget, we don't even see it, but then, then what do we do next? When, after Saul confronts him, what does Samuel or Samuel confront Saul? What does he do? He begins to rationalize it. Oh, and we do this too. Well, yeah, but let me, let, me, let me just explain that. Well, let me explain why. See, had God done what he was supposed to do, then I wouldn't have. If God had acted in the timeline that I wanted him to act, then it would have never happened. Or, God, um, the problem is uh, what you, don't, you just don't understand the whole situation, God. So let me explain it to you. God, I cheat on my taxes because then I can give you more money. Or whatever else. And what we do is we begin to rationalize our sinful behavior, trying to find some type of good motive underneath that makes it okay. Okay. This is the trajectory, by the way, of sin. We become blind to it. We begin to rationalize it if it is pointed out to us. And if you were to see somebody else sin in the same way, you would say, oh, look how dirty that is. But when it's you, you're like, no, 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 Let 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 me explain. Then what happens? Third thing that happens, and this happens with sin too. Uh, then, um, by the way, at some point in time, um, Saul just keeps coming up with excuses, and at some point, Samuel literally says, "Stop! <laughs> just stop! Like I'm, I'm, you're done. Stop making excuses. Stop coming up with reasons. All of this kind of stuff just, just, just stop." And then, as we keep going, Saul doesn't stop, and he does the next thing that often happens that started in the garden. Okay, uh, that has um, progressed through all of time uh, and that we still do today. What does he do? He blames grandma. He blames grandma. Well, She made the pie. It's her fault. What does he do? He says, oh, 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 those, those sheep and those oxen? Well, hold on, hold on. That was the people. The people did that. And so what happens here is this. The king, who was given the order by God, who is guilty, blames the innocent people, and says, let them take the blame. i to say that again. The guilty king passes the blame onto the innocent people. Now, we already know, if you've been hanging around with us over the last few weeks, the ending of this story. Saul ends up losing the kingdom. It's torn. It's ripped apart from him. Uh, As that continues to progress, it leads with his eventual Death on a mountain surrounded by his three sons. This is the trajectory of sin that starts in as self-deceiving, rationalizing it, uh, becoming blind to it, uh, or, or shifting blame onto somebody else. And then where it leads if it's not taken care of. And we can look through this. We can look through this story. We can see the tragedy in it. We can probably see ourselves and and how sin tries to work its way into us. And we'll see here, Samuel gives the prophet smack of all prophet smacks when he says this. He says, though you are little in your own eyes, he's talking to Saul, "and, and, and are you not the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission. He said, Go, devote to destruction or turn over completely to the Lord the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why did you not obey? Why did you pounce on the spoil? Why? And Saul said to Samuel, I did obey. He's deceived. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, now he's shifting blame, but the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction. To what? To sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. (laughs) You see, his motives are actually somewhat rooted in something that is good. See how deceptive sin is? (laughs) We even try to then come up with these own good things that we think if we do those good things, it will outweigh the disobedience. God, it's okay I disobeyed because as a result of your disobedience, I actually, this is what I can now give you. This is what I can do for you, God. Ah, but there's something deeper going on here. The deeper thing that's going on here is that when we're faced with our own sin, what our natural response is, is to say, ah, but God, look now what I've done for you. Look what I've done, God. And all throughout this chapter are the different things on how people respond to sin. For, for, for Samuel, he grieves. He grieves. For Saul, he says, I sacrifice. I sacrifice. And then look what Samuel says to him. He says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. It's a mic drop moment. We he looks at him, he says, what does he want? Does he want your best efforts? Does he want your good deeds? Or does he want your obedience? Does he want your heart? Does he want your your heart? What's he really after? It says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of ram's. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. Saul was guilty of rebellion, and he's saying, if you had been practicing divination, we wouldn't be having this conversation. In other words, he's saying, stop trying. Stop trying to evaluate sin on some type of scale. Don't look at this person and say, oh, but their sin is this. But my sin is only this. So don't do that. He said, and presumption is, is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He said, What's the point? The point is disobedience is disobedience. Disobedience is disobedience. (laughs) I listened to one speaker and he said, "Uh, If you think God has called you to Africa, right, or on a missions field, then you don't go. It's disobedience. If you think God has called you to stay and you go to Africa, guess what? It's disobedience. The point is not what was the action on the outside. It was, Am I being obedient? Is my heart His? What are we supposed to see in this story? What are we supposed to see? Because here's the deal. If you read the story wrong, you walk away, and there's a few things and thoughts you might have. One, you might think that you have permission to attack any of your enemies. And God only knows how passages like this have been used to destroy people. How um, passages similar to this have been picked out and used in very ungodly ways. Fortunately, Jesus tells us what about our enemies? Oh, not to annihilate and to destroy them, but to do what? To love them, to pray for them, not to destroy them. That's a danger. That's a danger of reading it wrong. What's another danger of reading it wrong. Another danger of reading it wrong is to look into the story and to say this, Okay, where Saul failed, I won't. Where Saul failed, I won't. So, where Saul was deceived, I won't be. Uh, Where Saul rationalized, I won't. Where Saul shifted blame, I won't. Where Mm -hmm. Saul elevated sacrifice over obedience, I won't. But here's what I know is true about the pie you ate it. And here's what I know is true about sin. It is so deceptive and strong. The tendency to rationalize is so built within you to shift blame that if you walk away today thinking my job is to not be Saul and to obey where he didn't, you're going to fail. And you know what's going to happen when you fail? You're not going to see it. Or you're gonna rationalize it, or you're gonna shift the blame. Because that's what the human heart does. So, what do we need? We need a king who is sent on a mission just like Saul was. We need a king who is sent on a mission to preserve God's plan of redemption. See, Saul was sent on a mission to take out the Amalekites because they had attempted to destroy God's plan of redemption. And Jesus is sent on a mission from the heavenly father to preserve the land and the plan of redemption. And Saul took God's plan when it was convenient for him and twisted it a little bit for his advantage. Oh, but the greater king, the greater king, when he had an opportunity to twist the plan for his advantage, didn't. But there are some differences in the story, aren't there? See, why was Saul sent? What was he sent to do? To do what for the sinner? To destroy them, to see them consumed. But in the greater story, what happens? In the lesser story, Saul, he took his own guilt and put it on the people. What of the greater story? What of the greater story? The greater king comes. Not to destroy the sinner and to cast his guilt on them, but to take their guilt on himself. And something, because God is a God of justice, something has to be utterly destroyed and something has to be fully consumed. And something is. Something is. And in the greater story, it's the king himself. The king himself is fully destroyed. The king himself is fully consumed. Consumed by what? Destroyed by what? By God's wrath as a payment for what? For my sin, for your sin. Now here's what has to happen when we see that. And here's why the new way, (laughs) the the newer king is so much better than the old one. Here's why it's so good that you're not the king. Here's why it's so good that he was the king. Because even on this side of Christ's sacrifice, My tendency and your tendency is going to be this, that when we're faced with sin, we're going to respond to it exactly the same way that those guys did, even though Even though the mission was sent by a different king, our human heart is the same, this side of Jesus as it was previous to Jesus, which means our tendency is going to be to respond to sin just like they did. And it's two ways. One, we're going to grieve in it. We're going to grieve in it. Or secondly, we're going to try and sacrifice our way out of it. It's the natural inclination of the human heart. But what's the point of the story? Two things happen after this that we know. First is Jesus pays all of the sacrifices so you and I don't have to anymore. Which means this, that every time you and I sin and our thought is, ah, but God, I'll sacrifice. I'll sacrifice. Now, we don't say it that way. We say, now I'll be good. Now I'll be nice. Nice. Now I'll give money. Now I'll serve. Now I'll fill in the blank. And what we've done is just recreated the whole system that he died to abolish. Or what do we do? What do we do? We take it upon ourselves to grieve. Oh, God. Oh, as if we can lower ourselves down enough, beat ourselves up enough mentally, whip ourselves physically or metaphorically enough so as to deserve his grace. It's just another form of the same thing. But you know what's worse? is in the church, as Christians we love to 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 hold this over each other and so we see someone caught in sin and we say things like well they don't just they don't seem sorry enough why well, I haven't I haven't seen them beat themselves up enough yet christ was beat up on the cross so you don't have to be it's the whole point it's the whole point that he was the sacrifice. You know what the Lord says to Samuel at the end of this? Samuel, not Saul. He says, Why are you grieving? I'm doing something new. He says, Stop. Letting that sin, that thing, stop letting it hold you back. Stop letting it keep you down. Stop letting it being held over you. I'm doing something new in you. And stop trying to earn your way or rationalize your way back into right standing. You don't have to sacrifice another thing. Jesus did it all for you. We're going to take communion and we're going to sing that song again. And I would encourage you to examine the words that you sang before I preached. But let them hit you in a new way. Because there were words that you sang that I think you might have sung, but you don't fully believe. But when you sing them again, I hope you do. As we take communion today, I would hope you would do two things. Go ahead and pull it out. I'm a little fired up over here. I'm fired up because I don't have to sit in my sin for a second. I'd already sat on Jesus. I guess I'm fired up because I know that there's nothing good that I have to do to earn his forgiveness. And I'm tired of playing a game, some internal scorecard of my bad versus my good because I keep losing. <laughs> but he already won for me. So here's what I would encourage you to do. Remember the, um, the bread, the wafer, represents the body of Christ broken. The, the juice represents his blood poured out, spilled for us. Him consumed, destroyed for you and I. Two things as you take this on your own. First, first, Ask him. Ask him if you are being deceived by sin right now. If there's something you're rationalizing, if there's something that you're shifting blame on, ask him to reveal it. Give it to him and grieve no more. And then secondly, celebrate. Celebrate what he did for you. Thank him for being consumed so you wouldn't have to be. We hope you were inspired, challenged, and learned something new. For more information about our church, visit our website at redemptioncitychurch.tv. Have a great week.